You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We still have a few people making their way in from bidding on items in our silent auction for our scholarship fundraiser. Before we get started, we have a a number of things going on in the next uh, week or so that we want you to be aware of. Uh, If you look in your bulletin at the very top there, you'll see the scholarship fundraising golf tournament. The golf tournament is next Sunday. There is still time for you to sign up if you want to play in the golf tournament. There's still time for you to sponsor a hole. Uh, there's lots of opportunities for you to help out. There's silent auction items out in the foyer to bid on. And, and all of the money we raise goes to helping students and children go on their camps and their retreats. It helps people interested in missions, offsetting the cost of going on mission trips. Really good things happens in people's lives because of this fundraiser. We, we encourage you to participate. We also want to point out that on Saturday, May 12th, we have a men's event featuring Chad Hendrickson from Texas. He's an Olympian, and his story is an amazing and inspiring story uh, of kind of how participating in the Olympics directly led him to Christ. Uh, it is a crawfish boil where he will be the keynote speaker. It's only $10. We encourage you to sign up. If you don't like crawfish, there is other things on the menu. And to, to be an Olympian alone, it's a small price to pay. We also have some mission trips heading out soon. You'll see uh, about a couple living water trips in here. We have one leaving very soon with Bob Boozer and Greg Duncan and Nancy Forster going on it. And, and what we've provided you in the bulletin is a list of prayer items to pray for them each day that they're gone. Kind of goes through what they'll be doing on their trip and lets you really focus what you're praying on to uplift them and the community they're serving. So we hope you take advantage of that. God, we give you thanks here today. Because despite our response, despite how we live our lives, despite what we say, it doesn't always line up. It doesn't always line up with how we live our lives. And despite all of those things, Lord, you've never failed us. You've always been faithful. You've always provided for us. You've been there every step of the way. Though it may have been shrouded by night, though it may have looked like there wasn't a way, Lord, you were there every step of the way. And so we praise you this morning because you love us in spite of ourselves. Even if we don't love ourselves, Lord, you love us with a, with a love that's beyond our comprehension, a love that's, that's really not found anywhere else except in Jesus. And so we respond to this love here with our lives here this morning. We pray, Lord, that as we give of these offerings here now, as we give out of cheerful hearts, Lord, you see that you have 
every area of our life. You have every aspect of our life. Nothing is hidden from you. And Lord, we declare, we proclaim, we we say out loud that you are the provider, that everything comes from you. And so we just acknowledge that here this morning and we give back to you. And we pray that these gifts, these tithes that we give to you would would bless your name, that it would bless your kingdom, that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forth out of this place that it would shine forth into the darkness, that it would go into other parts of this city, that it would go into other parts of this country and out into this world proclaiming the life that's found in Jesus. And we thank you for giving us the resources to be able to give back, Lord. Just thank you for your provision in our lives. Bless these offerings as we give to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into our communion time, as we do every single Sunday here, we practice communion every Sunday at Cypher Christian Church. And it's not always in the center of the service, but it's always central to our service. And today we're moving into this time now. And as we do, as we reflect on what it is that God has done through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we're reminded here during this time of communion that He gives us life, that life doesn't exist without him. He he not only sustains it, he holds it together. And through Christ Jesus, though we were dead in our sins, through Christ's death and resurrection, he has brought us back to life. He has made the dead to rise again. And for us as believers of Christ, this is what we remember. This is what we commemorate. This is what propels us forward. The life that Jesus brings us, we're reminded of in this bread and this cup that we take of today. We're also reminded that he's love, that this wouldn't have happened outside of love. It wouldn't have happened outside of a, of, of a love beyond our comprehension, as we said earlier. This wasn't done out of obligation. This was a love that was given to us in the midst of our rebellion. And because of that, it sheds light. God gives light to us here today. He gives light to us, opens our eyes as to what he's done and how we are to live. There's no light outside of God. His light brings us light. It's beyond, scripture said, it's beyond a thousand suns, the brightness, the light that exists in God here today. This is not a God who is dim and feeble, but this is a God who's full in power. And so we have a hope. This hope that's commemorated in the bread and the cup of Jesus. And so this morning, as you come forward, don't hang your heads low. Don't, don't walk in shame and guilt. Hold your heads high. Jesus lifts our chins here today and reminds us of what he's done in Jesus. Let's celebrate the hope that we have in him. We invite you all, all believers in Christ to celebrate communion today. We dip the bread into the cup. The, the server will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you as they tear off a piece 
And the other server will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And you'll take that, take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup and commemorate and celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus. Invite our servers to come forward. As we do, I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for this table that you've set before us. This is not a meal that we could prepare. This is not something that we could do on our own. Jesus provides the meal here today. And not only did he die, but he died once and for all, for all of us who believe in him. We're reminded of the great love that you have for us and the great hope that we have in Jesus. And let us not walk defeated people, but a grateful people, a victorious people. We thank you for all that you've given to us and we praise your name, amen. Well, good morning, friends. I'm John Harden, and it's great to get to be back with you guys. And uh, let me just say again to begin with that uh, both my wife, Linda, and I are so appreciative of uh, your church, uh, your partnership with our ministry with Frontiers. We live in Denver, but our focus is on the Muslim world. And uh, you guys have been a part of praying for us and supporting our ministry for a number of years. And uh, you know, it may sound trite, but it's true that we could not do this without uh, your help and your partnership. So we want to know, you to know how much we appreciate you guys. This morning, I felt led to share some reflections from the book of First Peter, a little letter in the back of the New Testament, but it has a significant message. And this letter is addressing a pressing question that believers were facing in the middle of the first century. And I think it's a question that's still relevant today. And the question is this, what will sustain you in a time of crisis? What's, what's the spiritual glue that can keep a person from falling apart in the midst of life's pressures? Peter is writing to a group of believers who lived a long way from Israel. They were living in the Roman Empire. They were living in a part of the empire that was called Asia Minor. Uh, It's in what would be Western Turkey today. And he's writing this letter to them because he's heard that they're experiencing all kinds of hardships. The main thing seems to be that they were experiencing persecution from the culture that was around them. Now, who were these believers? What do we know about them? Well, Peter addresses them as a whole a couple places in this letter. One of them is in one place is in chapter 2, verse 11, and he says this. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, and then he goes on. But he's referring to them as foreigners and exiles. Now, different English translations of the Bible will translate those. Greek terms differently. The New American Standard Bible, for example, has Peter saying aliens and strangers. Other translations might say sojourners or pilgrims. So what does he mean by this? Well, Bible scholars tell us that those original Greek terms are essentially legal terms. They referred to a particular class of people who lived in the Roman Empire in that day. So, 
foreigners and exiles, what they were, were they were people from other lands, so foreigners living inside the Roman Empire, but they weren't citizens. And so the, the social standing of this group of people fell well below that of full citizens. So for example, their rights were limited. They could be punished more severely. Uh, and you all like this one, they had to pay higher taxes, all right? And aside from how the government treated them, they were also treated differently by society at large. So people like this, who were outsiders, were often viewed with suspicion. I'm sure sometimes they were discriminated against. So what is Peter trying to say to these believers? Well, he's trying to remind them that there's a place of true security that can be found in the midst of these hardships that they're facing. He's trying to remind them that there's a spiritual foundation that they can stand upon that's unshakable. It's not going to change. And I'll sum it up using one word that Peter uses in this letter. And that word is hope. But it's important we understand this is not usually the way we think about hope. You know, for us, hope is merely wishful thinking. Like, uh, gee, I sure hope Rice wins the NCAA football championship this year, okay? It's just not going to happen, or not very likely, right? This kind of hope is something that is completely certain. It is grounded. And this is what Peter is trying to remind these guys of in the first chapter. And I'd like to read some verses from the first chapter, verses that center around Peter's idea of hope. And it starts with verse 3. Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power. So here's how I would try to summarize these verses. Peter is saying that our Christian hope is anchored in three things. First of all, it's anchored in our God and his loving mercy for us. Secondly, it's anchored in our salvation and our new life in Christ. And third, it's anchored in our future in heaven. Peter says there is a a spiritual inheritance that is waiting for us, and God is protecting us, and he's protecting that inheritance until one day we will receive it. So Peter is saying to these believers who are being threatened, who are having a hard time in this particular culture where they're living, look guys, this is where you can find real security and hope. It's what Peter calls a living hope. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this kind of hope recently. And I've also been thinking a lot about exiles, foreigners, aliens living in the former Roman Empire. Over the last couple of years, I've had the chance to travel to a large city in Sicily called Catania, And I've gone there to reach out to thousands of migrants, thousands of refugees coming there from all over the world, from various parts in Asia and the Middle East, but mostly from Africa. 
Now, most of these migrants, in a legal sense, they're aliens, right? They don't have the full rights of citizens in the EU. Socially speaking, they're not unlike the group that Peter was addressing in 1 Peter. Their rights are limited. They're misunderstood. They're sometimes discriminated against. And it's amazing to see just the sheer numbers of these people. And I've gone there with others just to reach out to these people in the name of Christ. And and they have been through some really difficult times. Many of these refugees have, have risked their lives making long, dangerous journeys across deserts, through lawless sorts of places. And the last stage of the journey for most of these guys involves crossing the Mediterranean Sea to try to reach Europe, landing in Sicily because it's kind of the closest landmass. And here's the reality. Only a very small percentage of these migrants are going to eventually be granted the legal permission to stay in Europe. It's what they all want but only a few will. So why take such risk? One word, hope. In their case, it's the uncertain hope of a better life that drives them. I just want to try to give you a sense of how desperate many of these migrants are. As I said, the last stage of the journey for most of them will involve traveling from Libya in North Africa to Sicily by sea. Now, why Libya, you might ask? Well, because Libya at this point in time is pretty much a failed state. So human smugglers, these are the guys that profit off of this industry of trying to get these people illegally into Europe, they can operate with relative freedom in places like Libya. And what they will do is they will just pack these migrants onto small boats. And when I say packed, I mean packed. To the point that no boat like this is safe to be out in when there's this many people on it. And because the boats are little boats, they were never meant to be far from shore. They're oftentimes boats that are in really bad repair. When they get out to sea, it doesn't take much for them to capsize or to sink. Now, you might think, well, only young men who think they're invincible would do something as stupid as this, but it's not true. The majority would be young men, but there's also women and small children. And listen, every year, thousands of them perish at sea trying to make this journey. Only the fortunate ones happen to be rescued. Many, many drown at sea. I heard a story just the other day about a guy who lives in Tunisia. It's on the north coast of Africa. He said, when the currents are right, every week, bodies just wash up on shore. It's these migrants who have drowned at sea. And this guy has taken it upon himself just to bury them in unmarked graves. He has no idea who they are, but just to try to show a little bit of respect and dignity for their lives. Now think about this for a minute. What must life be like in their homelands 
to risk death for something else. I want to give you a sense of the scale of what's happening. The weekend before I first traveled to Catania, the Libyan, excuse me, the Italian Coast Guard picked up more than 10,000 people at sea in two days. That's, that's what's happening here. So can you imagine the blessing for men and women like these at such desperate places in their lives that if they were to actually make it to Europe to not just find safety or maybe employment, but to find real living hope in Christ. This is exactly why Peter urges those of us who have experienced this hope to share it with those who need it. In chapter 3, verse 15 of this letter, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And that's why I've gone to Sicily the last few years with others, to share the hope that we have in Jesus with these modern-day aliens and strangers and exiles living in what was once the Roman Empire. And what's happened over the last couple of years is that a new ministry initiative has started there called Care for Catania. That's the main city that they're working out of. The whole ministry is designed to to share Christ and then to, to make disciples from these mostly Muslim refugees. Almost all of them are Muslim. And it's just getting off the ground, but already there are six families of Americans who are there long-term to work with this, and there's a a growing number, small but growing number of Italian believers uh, that are starting to get involved in this work. And among the other things that they're doing as a ministry there to try to reach out to refugees, they're using short-term teams in the process. So you might be aware that last October, uh, some of your church members joined Linda and I and some others on one of these teams. And I'll tell you how they're utilizing the teams. Essentially, the short-term teams just go out on the streets to meet the refugees. You recognize this guy? Not, not the African, but the other one? You would have loved to watch your pastor at work. I mean, Dale, I don't think it was the coffee he was drinking although the Italian espresso is really good. But I mean, he, he was just in his element. It, the rest of us were just trying to kind of keep up with Dale. What we do is we just go out on the streets to meet these refugees. Some of them speak English, and we're just there to talk with them. No one else is really talking with them, to listen to their stories, just to show some genuine interest in their lives. Now, their stories are heart-wrenching. Uh, But one of the ways that we can express concern for them is just by listening to them, just expressing compassion for them. And as we would talk with them, if the conversation kind of gets going, then we might ask them, hey, would you like to hear a story? Now, that might seem odd to you, but most of these guys are from Africa, and most of Africa is kind of a storytelling culture. So they'll usually say, sure. Uh, And then we'll just tell them a story about Jesus, Maybe something that Jesus did, maybe something Jesus taught, maybe a parable like the prodigal son. And when we get done, we'll say, what do you think of that story? 
what you like about it. Do you have any questions? Or what do you think that might mean? And you just kind of get a conversation going. And uh, if they seemed interested in that, then we might say, uh, you want to hear another story? Let's try, to, let's try to get together tomorrow, maybe. And why don't you bring some friends back with you? And we'll, we'll listen to another story. What we're doing in this is, is two things. One is, again, we're just trying to, in a very, very small way, demonstrate God's concern for them by spending time with them to show them they're not forgotten or not completely ignored. But in the process of doing this, we're looking for people who might be spiritually interested or open to the gospel. And uh, if we find folks like that, then before we leave, we'll introduce them to the long-term workers so that they can follow through on that relationship. So in a sense, what the teams are doing is we're building the capacity of the long-term missionaries because we're meeting way more people than they could meet And we're letting them focus their time in on those who are the ones who are more spiritually interested. And God is working through this sort of ministry strategy. They've seen a number of Bible studies then be begun with these Muslims out in the open air, reading the Bible together. This last trip, Lynn and I had a chance to sit on one of these Bible studies, just very simple Bible studies with these three young men. And it was so exciting. You just have to realize they're reading this story from the Bible for the very first time. One guy's reading in French because that's his language. A couple other knew enough English they could read in English. Reading the story from John chapter four, Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And you would have been amazed at the questions they were asking and the insight that I believe the Holy Spirit was giving to them. They got right to the heart of the passage. When we said, what do you think this means? One of them said, I think the woman thinks Jesus is offering some kind of magical water. But I don't think that's the point. I think Jesus says he can give eternal life. I'd have been so excited if a Sunday school class came up with that one, you know? So it's been amazing. And they've seen some of these Muslims decide to follow Christ and even be obedient in baptism. And what you need to realize is that a lot of these refugees come from what we call unreached people groups. It means the ethnic groups that they are from, the gospel hasn't penetrated yet into those groups. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, he didn't mean countries. The Greek terminology there means go and make disciples of all kinds of peoples. And so this is giving us an opportunity to do that here These folks tend to be more open and receptive than they would be otherwise because of what they've been through, and we have lots more freedom to just do this in openness on the streets than we would possibly in their home countries. Well, the life story of one of the Muslim refugees that we met is a great example of how God is working. Let me just tell you a little bit about this guy's story. He's a Muslim. He grew up in West Africa When he was just a boy, his father participated in a a failed attempt to overthrow the government. So his father was, as you expect, put on like a hit list, and they had to flee their own country when he was just a little boy. So he became a refugee just as a young child. He's from a Muslim family, so he was sent off to an Islamic boarding school for his education. This guy's really bright, and so he was selected for special training in what would be called Islamic apologetics. We use that term with Christianity too, but it's essentially learning about your faith and other religions so that you could kind of debate with others if needed. So he would go out and debate with Christian missionaries. He was trained to do that sort of thing. 
But he said, as he had the chance to actually read the Bible himself, he was amazed at all the stuff about Jesus that he'd never heard about. And when he would go and ask his Muslim teachers questions, just honest questions, he said he would just be reprimanded. And they'd say, no questions. Don't even be thinking about that sort of stuff. Well, life continued to be dangerous for him and his family in that part of Africa, so eventually he made that long, dangerous journey, found himself in a refugee camp in the city of Catania, and one day, one of my friends and another guy were out on the streets meeting refugees, just like I've described, and they met this guy, and they befriended him, and they shared more about Christ and what it means to follow Christ. And he said, by this point in time, he knew a lot about Christianity, knew a lot about what it would mean to be a Christ follower, but he had pretty much given up all hope. His life had been so hard, he was pretty much turning away from religion in every form. But one night, God spoke to him in a powerful dream. And that kind of changed everything for this guy. And when I heard his story, this was the first time I was in Tanya, I just begged him to share his testimony with the rest of our team that was gathered. So one morning, we were kind of planning the day, sitting out in front of a hotel, and this guy told his story, and one guy just pulled out his phone and recorded it. And I want to show you a little bit of that recording now, where he talks about this dream. So let's let's look at the story. Let me just set it up for you, just by saying, in his dream, he's back in his hometown in Africa with his family, and then for some reason, he has to leave the town, he goes out to their family's farm, and when he comes back to town, the town is deserted, except for his family. So let's watch this. I usually sleep, I sleep late, like 12, nine, like that, so it was in the morning I had that dream, because I remember I woke up around three or four and I went back to bed again, and I slept. In the dream, it was like my town, my, my hometown, where my father and everyone been. So it was like when I went to the farm to do something, whether I went to farming or so, so I, I came back to the town. So when I came back, I met the town was empty, deserted. There was no one in the town. So I was like, imagine seeing a big town where you have uh, 300 people living and there was no one. All the doors were closed. So it was weird, strange. I said, what's going on? I was walking on the street and I didn't see anybody. Eventually, I got to my own house. I saw my father, my brothers, my sisters, and everyone. They were standing and then laughing at me, sarcastically. It was very strange. They were just laughing, not happiness with happiness, but they were kind of strange way of laughing. So I was like, why? What's going on? There's no one in town. And I see my family, you guys are standing online and then laughing. They said, you didn't go with them? I said, who? What's going on? I said, I don't know what's going on. They said, they have gone. We thought you would go with them because you had the knowledge and you read and know so many things about these people and then they have been taken away and you didn't go. So it's very, very shameful. We thought that because you had the knowledge of these things, you were going to join them and then they have gone and then you are left with us. Ali for us, we never knew. was for you, you knew, but you didn't go. So I said, what are you talking about? He said, okay, figure it out. So they were just laughing. So I ran. I went to town to see some friends and see what is going on. I couldn't see anybody. So while I was going around, it dawned on me then there was something like rapture took place. 
that God has taken away the believers. And I had the knowledge of Christ, but denied the truth. So that was the reason I was there. So for some reason, that message came to my heart. I knelt down in a dream and began to pray. I said, God, please, let me join them. Just help me. Let me just go, please. You know, I repent. And I began to cry. God, just help me. Just one minute. It's not, it's not, it has not ended yet. Just help me. I was crying in a dream. And I woke up in my room and I was really crying. So when I woke up in a dream and saw that I was crying, I said, this, is, this has never happened before. So I knelt down and I said, well, God, I don't understand everything about Christianity. But this vision is nothing I've ever seen in my life. I gave my life to Christ and you should explain the rest of the thing to me. That is how I became a Christian. Isn't that amazing? God is working in this way, particularly in the Muslim world. It's just like the book of Acts. People are having dreams, they're having visions. It's not how they get saved. You know, we are entrusted with that responsibility. We are the ambassadors of Christ. But it's a process, a step that God uses to draw people to himself, just as this man. Well, this guy now, a former refugee, is helping with the ministry. He's helping to translate for the missionaries. There's, people come from all sorts of nations, so there's all kinds of languages. This guy speaks seven different languages. So uniquely equipped. But he's not just translating for the missionaries. He's sharing his own hope in Christ with these refugees. He's one of them. And the hope long-term for this ministry is that it would be led by men like this who have been refugees, who've discovered the hope in Christ, and who could then share it even more effectively than we could. So I would encourage you, if you would remember, to pray for this ministry. Care for Catania. Things are off to a, a good start, a lot of traction in that initial city of Catania. Now we're considering other cities in Sicily that have large populations of refugees that we might move to. And this is a great opportunity for churches to get involved and partner with this ministry, to be a part of extending this. So I'd ask that you might pray for that. But look, you don't have to go to Sicily to be obedient to Peter's words in 1 Peter, right? We have people all around us that need to know Christ, and we can share the hope that we have with them. And you guys live in greater Houston, which I think probably has one of the largest populations of people from other countries and refugees of any city in the United States. And you've got some great ministries that are already serving them and taking the gospel to them. So it wouldn't be too difficult to get connected to something like this right here. The reason ministry like this in Sicily is important is that the scale is completely different. Hundreds of thousands are, are coming. And so there's a unique opportunity to be kind of right there on the front line. But I wondered if Pastor Dale would come and uh, share a few thoughts and give the invitation this morning. Thank you, John. Pretty incredible story, is it not? The work in Catania uh, is tremendous. Uh, the need is tremendous. The work 
It's so exciting to see how God has put the pieces together. John mentioned that there are six families um, now serving there. And uh, as thousands of refugees continue to come on shore, we want to pray. Our missions team is actually meeting today. They're meeting with the leader of that team in Catania, um, Skype, in a Skype meeting. Uh, another man who's very important part of the vision of that ministry from Colorado's meeting with us, John's meeting with us. So I ask that you'd pray for the team as we continue to seek God's leadership and his direction. Um, but you know, uh, as much as I want you to pray for the team, I-, I would ask that you be bold enough to ask God to open your eyes Open your eyes to those that you live by, that you work with, that you might go to school with, that in all practical purposes are exiles. They're alone. They're far from home. Uh, Maybe they're taken advantage of because of their particular situation, circumstance in life right now. You know, there are, as John said, you don't have to travel around the world to find people who are in great need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Are you able, are you able to, to share with others the reason for the hope you have in Jesus Christ? You see, I believe that if a point in a time in your life you've entered into a relationship with Christ and you are moving forward in your faith journey, you have a story to share. Your hope that is found in Christ, in Christ alone. Uh, There is a world in need and Houston is indeed Uh, One of the top three, depending on who you talk to, most diverse cities uh, in the United States. Uh, The opportunity, and we're we're not in a a part of the city that is all the same. The city is represented right here in our area, is it not? I want to pray for you and me that God might open our eyes and also want to pray for our team today as we meet uh, seeking God's direction. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, Father, I I know that as John mentioned that there are people here uh, who have been looking, longing for hope. Uh, They've come to a point in their life that they thought things would be different. They thought life would be different. And at this moment, they've lost hope. Father, I pray that we might have our eyes open. Father, open our eyes to those around us who are without hope and in great need of good news. Father, use us as your instruments to carry good news to friends, to neighbors, to coworkers in need. Uh, Father, I know in this place today, here in this room, 
are individuals who've lost hope. Father, may they know that you know them by name. Father, may you, may you connect them with others that may stand beside them and walk with them and share with them the hope that's found in Christ alone. Father, we lift up our mission team today and we pray for wisdom and direction and we thank you for your guiding hand in this journey. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward at this time. And I want to encourage you, if you would, just stand as we prepare to worship. It's easy to talk about neighbors and coworkers and, and someone in need of hope. Um, would you put a name to that person right now? Would you just lift them up? to the Lord in prayer wherever you find yourself in this place. Say, you know, I know someone who's without hope right now. Would you lift them up? And you might know someone who has been through this whole refugee journey. Would you pray for them today? And I ask you to do more than just pray. Would you ask God to give you the strength, the courage, the words to carry to them the hope of the gospel? Our prayer partners are here. Maybe you're struggling right now in your own life situation. Would you bring your need um, and share it with one of these prayer partners today? And they'd be love to pray with you and lift up um, these needs to Jesus. Let's worship our King. Uh, Let's worship the one in whom we have found our hope.